raises a wide range of ostensible problems with language, which only seem to come up when women do them, even though they're obviously every bit as common among male speakers. Mean is complicated. We have to get through the hard part, which is there are three means, three etymological words that are spelled M-E-A-N that have nothing to do with each other. Coming up on Word Matters, the annoying like and what we mean when we say mean. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is a new podcast from Merriam-Webster, produced in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. There are, like, words that annoy people, and then there are words that, like, really annoy people. Love it or hate it, the word like performs some interesting feats in the language. In this segment, we are joined by Merriam-Webster editor Serenity Carr. Amon Shea is like, hey, Serenity, tell us more about like. We love to talk about people's linguistic peeves. And one of the reasons that these are so entertaining is that they tend to engender considerable passion on the part of people who care about language. And the most notable examples of this, certainly of late, is the humble little word like, a word that people truly love to hate. Serenity, you've done considerable work and research into like. What is it that gets people so het up? So there are some modern uses that are objected to in use, and they actually have quite a lot of function, but people like to say, oh, this is a useless word and you need to stop saying it. It's just a filler word and it doesn't mean anything, but it does have a lot of meaning. Filler words tend to carry some sort of meaning, right? I mean, they're performing a function at least, right? Oh, sure. Right. And so what, what are, are the... some other examples of filler words, just for people who aren't familiar with that term? Um, 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 um yeah. Well, uh... look. Um, so is a word that I use a lot. Right. Before and after sentences. Sure. Sentence initial so is mm-hmm. a big one lately. New kid on the So block. what is like as a filler? Well, it has a few different uses. I think the most common one is the quotative like, and that one's a little bit older than the rest. And a lot of older generations are saying, oh, the kids are saying this and we don't like it. But it's different than a regular quotative. If someone says, I said hi to John, then you know that the word he said was high. But if someone says, I was like, hey, man, then maybe he didn't actually say the exact words, hey, man. He just sort of aimed a greeting at someone. So the quote of it, it's kind of paraphrasing what you've said, right? Right. And it can carry some sort of emotion with it, too. Some people might say, and I was like, uh, and not even follow it with words. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's either paraphrasing or it's expressing sentiment rather than yep. a direct quote. Yep. That seems like it could be distinctly useful. Yes. So there's one use of like that's used to sort of minimize the impact of a statement. Let's say someone wants to borrow 50 bucks from a friend, but they feel sort of uncertain about asking for this favor. They might say, hey, can I like borrow 50 bucks? So they're sort of reducing the impact of that. They're not just coming right out and saying, can I borrow 50 bucks? It's kind of a buffer word. Right. Huh. It has a lot of adverbial uses, I know. And one of the ones that seems to come up a lot is kind of approximative use, like giving an approximation of something, right? Right. I must have given you like 50 bucks in the last week. Yeah. I mean, it could be 50, it could be 60, it could be 40. Right, right. exactly. Right. Yep, that's for an approximate amount, if you right. know. So even though we can use this word in 
almost the same exact space. It's, it's actually performing a very different function. Yep. And it's subtle until you pay attention to it, but it's definitely carrying real weight in the sentence. Yep. It's doing work. Yep. It's not lazy and shiftless, the no. way people have always said. Not no, <laughs> it's subtle and it's super efficient. You think right. about what like does in communicating, can I like borrow $50? The semantic content there is significant yeah. and it's very efficiently done. It makes me think of an emoji <laughs> like in sure. a text messages. It's a verbal cue that packs a lot of wallop. Yep. Is it performing any other function? Oh, yeah. So I was doing my research, and I thought, well, I'm not finding very much on this one, so let me just go out and talk to people. I was in college, so I had access to a whole bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds, and I would listen to them talk, and I'd say, okay, what did you mean by that? Or would this have been the same if you said it without like? And what I found was there's this sort of emphatic use where they're saying, I was, like, so angry. Uh-huh. And it's adding to that so. Right. If they say, I was so angry, that's one level of anger. But if they say, I was, like, so angry, there's the like and there's the pause and there's really this sort of, I want you to pay attention to how angry I am. Right. So it's functioning almost like an intensifier in yep. some senses. Wow. This is great. Why do you think that this word occasions so much umbrage? Oh, because young girls use it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like it's the most likely explanation, I think. Such an uh, easy target for the ire. Like, yep. Right. I mean, I'm fair, too, because I grew up using it all the time. I don't recall distinctly being criticized for it, unless in very specific contexts, in a classroom, perhaps, when I was just not as assertive enough for the teacher's liking. There's a wide range of ostensible problems with language, which only seem to come up when women do them, even though they're obviously every bit as common among male speakers. The up-talking at the end of a sentence is right. one. The vocal fry. Vocal I mean, fry. I mean, it, right. it's got to be, I think, one of the, the most idiotic things to criticize somebody for. It's just my personal feeling on the matter, which is, of course, subjective. But the idea that women are subject to vocal fry, but men are not, it's just absurd. Um, and the uptalk, I think, is associated with valley girl speech. Right. You know, we don't think about surfer culture or anything like that that we would attribute to boys. We label it with labels like valley girl and things like that. It sort of creates this trope that we then look for and then want to criticize when we see it. I will say that any of these kinds of like, when they are used a lot by a speaker in a limited amount of time, that they stick out. I think they're noticeable. So I think that also is something that's going on here, that it is something that people notice just the same way that we notice us. I mean, right. If a public speaker uses a lot of us, yeah. mm -hmm. it can be distracting to an audience. And I think that there are some cases where like is also really noticeable and sticks out among some speakers in some situations. How far back would you say the adverbial, like the quoted of like, go? Oh, a ways. It's mainly found in spoken use rather than written use, right? right? it is. Which is obviously much harder to track. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was so interesting about like is that it's peeve that shifted ground. And now it's this word that everybody, as I said, loves to hate. But in the 1950s, there was the great imbroglio over the Winston cigarettes when they used like as a conjunction. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Again, using like as a conjunction rather than using as. And people were really quite upset about that. A huge number of newspaper articles were written about it. People would publicly scold Winston. Winston was utterly delighted by this as a company because they got 
just gobs of free publicity. And they even came up with a kind of variant on this. They changed their slogan in some ads. What do you want? Good grammar, good taste. And it was a rousing success for them. And today, I feel like if you asked most people under the age of 40 about the scandal with Winston and Like, they have no idea what you're talking about. Nobody knows about that anymore. Right. Or nobody cares about it anymore. I so, think people remember it right. still. But. If you're listening to this and you, A, know about it and B, care about it, it means officially you are old. <laughs> Even if you're not numerically, you are, this in, is, you this are quali- spiritually. <laughs> this qualifies as a 100% embossed seal certificate of age. <laughs> I just had this flashback to the first time I ever heard Kellis's song, Milkshake. I was so excited. The line is, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. Do you guys know this song? It's a really uh, great song, actually. <laughs> but I was so excited because it had the quotative like in it, and I had never heard quotative like in a sentence like that. In a song, I mean. Do you guys – I'm alone in this? I, I know that. You know this <laughs> You and your quotative milkshake are all alone. <laughs> Can you think of other songs that have the quotative like? I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. That's why Kellis is absolutely brilliant. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after this break with what we mean when we say mean. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. I'm Neil Servin. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. If you hear someone described as mean, what kind of mental picture do you get? Are they stingy, humble, cruel? Are they trying to make fetch happen? Next, Peter Sokolowski on the surprisingly rapid evolution of a common word. I always love looking at the way we use words today compared to the way these same words were used not so long ago. And in the case of the word mean, M-E-A-N, mean as an adjective, I want to start by asking my dear colleagues, what is the most common way to use mean as an adjective, as in 
Mean Girls. Unkind. He was mean to me. Yeah. yeah. And you said, Emily? Unkind. 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 Cruel. Harsh. That is the only way almost that I think of this word. Once I was watching Gosford Park, and the word mean was used clearly as an adjective, and it clearly didn't mean unkind or cruel. And that movie's set in the 1930s. It's also set in Britain. And I thought, there's another mean. There's another meaning to this mean. And it turns out in that sense, it meant stingy or cheap. And I thought, well, that's sort of funny. Of course, I later learned, I looked it up. That's still a current use in British English. But it got me to thinking about this word, seeing how it evolved and when it evolved. Because it turns out that the unkind or cruel sense of mean is actually quite a new one. It's the newest, but what's interesting to me is that it has also sort of obliterated all the previous ones. This probably happens more often than we think. Mean is complicated. You know, we have to get through the, the hard part, which is there are three means, and it's three etymological words that are spelled M-E-A-N that have nothing to do with each other. There's the mean that we use as a verb, as in, you know, novelty means newness, and that's from Old English. It comes from the old English word that means to have in mind. So mean as in carrying meaning. There's the one that refers to the mathematical average, you know, like the mean temperature. And that comes from French, directly from French. It's from the Latin word medianus. In French, the word is moyen. And this is also the mean temperature, the mean average. But also this is the one that becomes a noun, a man of means or a means to an end. This is the one that evolved in that way. And finally, there's the one that we're talking about that becomes the adjective meaning cruel or unkind. And that comes from Middle English and originally did not mean cruel or unkind. It came from the word that meant common or shared. And so it originally meant in English humble or ordinary or inferior. There's a quote from Benjamin Franklin I have that he's talking about mixing ingredients to create dynamite. And he says, by knowing the nature of saltpeter, sulfur, and charcoal, these mean ingredients mixed, we can shake the air in a most terrible manner. And so mean just simply means ordinary, common, everyday. That's what was meant by that. Now, humble was immediately or very quickly in the 15th, 16th century transferred to people. And if you're describing someone as humble as a person, especially in the early modern era, it's often in contrast with noble or royal or some kind of aristocracy. And so we see that in the King James Bible, for example, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. And that's referring to non-noble men. The mean man boweth down from the King James Bible. The great man humbleth himself. So they make the distinction, the parallel right there. Shakespeare used it this way too. Richard II, that which in mean men we entitle patience is pale, cold cowardice in noble breasts. So he makes this distinction again between the mean and the noble. And in Henry V, the great rousing speech, few we happy, few we band of brothers, there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble luster in your eyes. So again, it's a real great sort of parallel between the humble and the noble or the rich. And the word demean, the verb demean, comes from this, to make humble or to make lower. And that's kind of an interesting sidelight on this too. Humble then continues on in the word mean to turn into a description of things that are humble, shabby, poor, poorly constructed. Charles Dickens uses it in Nicholas Nickleby, in an upper room of a mean house situated in an obscure street. Now, what mean house today, that doesn't really convey anything. 
I feel um, like that's a use that has been familiar to me since childhood. Did you read reading, older books? Yeah, from yeah, reading older books. That use of mean, more than the humble, more is that sense of want. Sure. And it feels Dickensian. Yeah, and from that period, Arthur Conan Doyle with Sherlock Holmes, and that's stuff that I read when I was young. I must have encountered this, a small, mean-looking, middle-aged man with rounded shoulders. And I'm sure I could have interpreted that to mean... Cruel. Cruel. Probably not what was intended, and it's almost certainly not what was intended by Doyle. Mean-looking simply meant shabby, not rich. Evelyn Waugh uses it, so this is a good bit later, but, you know, 1945, Brideshead Revisited. He's in disgrace, coming out in that beastly ratcatcher coat and mean little tie. It's a derogatory use, but it's a judgment, but it's not a moral judgment. It's just appearance. Well, sometimes our moral judgments are attached to it. They have to do that, of course, of course. But then we get to this idea of, like, mean streets, Mean streets, it turns out, that's used quite frequently to refer to the poor neighborhoods of a city. I had to look up this word in this sentence from Harper's. Out of the kennels of mean streets, whose meanness marble palaces and flowering gardens screen or hide. That word kennel, we actually define it in Merriam-Webster's Unabridged Dictionary as a house or dwelling place regarded as unfit for human residence. We would think of the word kennel only in terms of animals, but there was a human use of that that's dropped out of language. We actually dropped it from our collegiate dictionary. It's no longer in the dictionary. Again, but it makes the meaning here quite clear that we're talking about poor streets, that mean streets, if you think of the Scorsese film, we probably think of something very different, right? The title in the 1970s of being a scary place or an unkind place or a cruel place, citations you can find from mean streets in the late 19th, early 20th century And they're almost always in the locations where poor people live. And so, again, it gives you that context of this word has kind of shifted. And that word humble, that's maybe not the first way we think of this word today, but it does remain in a kind of almost a vestigial way in the idiom, no mean feat. And, of course, that can be applied in other ways. No mean accomplishment, no mean distinction, no mean mean writer. And it just simply means not a humble. So it's a kind of a negative way of saying a positive thing, of making a a positive statement about someone. Finally, we get to, from this lacking nobility sense, it actually meant lacking dignity and kind of bringing down. And you're starting to make this kind of class judgment or moral judgment in Jane Eyre. There's the sentence, I was a precocious actress in her eyes. She sincerely looked on me as a compound of virulent passions, mean spirit, and dangerous duplicity. Mean spirit here, not meaning cruel, but meaning unprincipled or low or base Mm -hmm. in that sense, you know, low regard. Very interesting. Yeah, because it's the moral part that comes later, and that's the cheap or stingy part where you start to judge someone and you judge what they do. And that's in Jane Austen, for example, I would not wish to do anything mean is the sentence, and it's about someone leaving money to the family. And so it clearly means stingy in that case. And this is where we got that sense from Gosford Park. In the sentence, it's spoken by Maggie Smith in character as an elderly duchess. They always send up a good breakfast here. I'll say that for Sylvia. She's not at all mean in that way. She's not at all stingy in that way. But what's interesting to me is that these are uses of this word that have almost completely disappeared from American English. Yeah, I think it is interesting because a lot of times the words are so flexible that we can take in dozens and dozens of meanings. Absolutely. And this really feels like it's an invasive species, and it's not yes. just the semantic drift. It's not just taking in a new meaning. It's kind of ripping out the other ones. It's, it's being mean. It's taking over. But you're right, and it's very possible to read these older statements, even from the King James Bible or whatever, and you might just interpret it with the modern definition. And then you really wouldn't get to what was intended by the author, and especially the subtlety of, for example, just saying shabby or humble, which is not so judgmental. It's more just a statement of a condition. 
What's interesting, too, is that when we first start seeing this use, it's in reported speech and usually in that of the young. And so this sort of typical way in which we observe language change. You mean the, the modern uses where it means unkind? Unkind or cruel. The first instances that I found, for example, put them in scare quotes. I decided in my own mind that Mr. Maxwell was a mean old thing, in quotes, from 1907. Or the series of books called The Motor Girls, which was sort of like The Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, a series of novels for young people. The Motor Girls at a time when cars were new. Cora, she ex exclaimed, I have been mean, hateful to you. So they gloss it in that, but it's in the voice of a young woman. And then finally, from Ethan Fromm, from Edith Wharton, 1911, gentleman friend gone back on you? Say, Matt, that's tough. No, I wouldn't be mean enough to tell the other girls I ain't as low down as that. So again, informal speech, youthful speech, reported speech, informal, and that use of mean. So it's interesting that it seems innovative so much so that it's only sort of spoken or reported spoken speech. But also in that last example, tying it to low down. Yes. Too. So this sort of ties back to the class attribution, the peasant attribution, yep. so to speak. So I think there sort of are these really hard to identify and circle on a page, but always undercurrent of commentary about the lower classes. Yes. The humble parts and mean streets being, you know, I think we interpret it now as a street where something bad can happen to you. Sure. But we don't exactly say what. And the idea is just kind of shading the previous meaning of streets where the poorer neighborhoods are. There's no logic there that necessarily poor is necessarily going to result something actively bad happening to you, but, but yeah, there's exactly. a connotation. Yeah, and that gets to what Ammon said, that this sort of poisoning or infecting the other earlier meanings, they blend together, don't they? Yeah, because right. it's not going to be in a wealthy neighborhood where you'd be afraid for your safety. Right. The right. semantic development of this word is offensive. There's this linking of pretty, poverty yeah. and of not having enough to cruelty is really I, offensive. I think the fact that mean is pushed these other words to the curb and mm -hmm. kick them out, it's kind of nominative determinism at its <laughs> finest. When you first started talking about I have this Dickensian association with mean in these senses that I know and, and I think I've always known on some level that are old-fashioned, then I also think I associate it with the mean stable of Christmas time of uh, Jesus' birth, right? There I think go. mean is a word that's associated with mm -hmm. that. I can't remember. I'm sure it's in a Christmas carol or something. Sure. It's very clearly in my mind. It I was probably written it. in the 1800s. And it carried that meaning. Right. Yeah. Merriam-Webster didn't put this definition in our dictionaries until 1934, until the second New International, the so-called Webster's Second, the big unabridged dictionary. And even then it was stigmatized. It had the label colloquial U.S. And the definition was characterized by petty selfishness or malice, contemptibly disobliging or unkind, ill-tempered, fractious. Wow. It's a great definition in the old yeah. way, yeah. Do you know if this use of mean is fully established in British English now? You know, I don't know. Because my sense is that the older meanings of mean live on in British English to a degree. Oh, I think that's true. And it's probably not so surprising at all to them, and those carols are typically English, and certainly the use of stingy is certainly current. But whether it goes back to the humble or non-noble, that's yeah. a good question. However, of course, if it's sitting right there, if it's in Shakespeare, for example, and used that way in Shakespeare, that means it's taught that way somewhere. Whoever is reading Shakespeare is going to encounter that usage. And I think it's important with Shakespeare, especially when he uses words that we still have in the language, but he's using them in a meaning that we don't first think of. That's where it gets exciting and interesting to teach 
the way the language has sort of moved on and kind of carried on. We've kept this word. We know what it sounds like. It doesn't mean here what you think it means. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about another sense of mean that has developed maybe more recently. When I think of someone saying that bartender makes a mean cocktail, completely different from the original meaning and completely different from the sense of cruelty. It's talking about being impressive, talking about something that just astounds. and Something bad. In a good way. <laughs> bad as good. That's the lean, mean sense. You know, he's right. a lean, mean athlete, or she plays a mean trumpet. These are totally positive senses. Right. The idea of aggression as a positive attribute, possibly. Something that's a mean cocktail is going to make an assertive impression on you. We do lump this positive sense, meaning excellent or effective, into the subsenses that includes the unkind and cruel sense. So you're right. There is a kind of evolution there that has continued to this kind of euphemistic sense. Right. Like, it's like we're know. describing wrestlers or yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah. or boxers. <laughs> you know, we want them to be mean. That's a good thing. It's a and good then thing. if your wrestlers are mean and your cocktail is mean too, then it's a good thing. But Ammon points out the word bad is a perfect example of this. And that's very informal for sure. But that was a bad solo you just played, and that everybody understands in the context that that means something extraordinarily good. Right. It's really remarkable. Anyway, that's the lowdown on the humble word, mean. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.